J.R.R. Tolkien of Lord of the Rings fame famously quipped that all those who wonder are not lost. It's certainly a poetic thought. And while all wanderers aren't necessarily lost from a geographic perspective, you might occasionally find the, the odd story of visitors who have lost something other than their way, namely their memory. Nineteen thirty one was a tough year in America. The stock market crash of nineteen twenty nine was the spark that ignited a power keg of economic devastation. The Great Depression was gathering momentum, with unemployment rates nationally topping fifteen percent. As they say, the times were tough. Mississippi's capital city of Jackson was proving to be somewhat of a bright spot in the economy. At least compared to many other places, Jackson's economy was relatively diverse, and unemployment during the 1930s rose above 7%. As to be expected, this made the city a, a magnet for the unemployed and impoverished. A situation in which Jacksonians weren't really all that keen. Vagrancy became a problem in the city streets, and it all resulted in frequent arrests. One local judge joked around, if you can't find work at home, don't send them to Jackson. Because if the people who know you can't find anything for you to do, the people of Jackson certainly can't. Into this environment, on one hot summer day, wondered a man sporting disheveled clothes and a relatively new pair of fairly expensive dress shoes. The city police didn't recognize him and caught up to the man as he walked down the State Street. Upon questioning, the man was unable to recall his name, location of his home, or what he was even doing in town. He didn't even know how he got there. He was unable to produce any form of identification whatsoever, with the only clue to possible identifying him being his belt buckle, emblazoned with a, a single letter, L, 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 L. In short, the man was arrested for vagrancy and a very 1930s thing to do, really. And after a few days in custody, still unable to, to remember who he was or any friends or family he might have, he was given over to the, the state mental health hospital. He was admitted under the, the moniker Mr. X. The name he would 
ends up wearing for the next eight years. Mr. X's case was all the more baffling because of how, well, normal he was. Aside from the amnesia, he was extremely well-spoken. He was an eloquent writer. It was clear that he had more than the, the nominal education. He was also good at math and particularly good at, at card games. One of his favorite pastimes was playing bridge with the, the hospital staff. Four years after being admitted, the state hospital moved to a new campus outside of Jackson called Whitfield. And it featured extensive grounds and a self-sustaining farm. Patients who were able would work the farm. It was considered to be beneficial to their therapeutic treatments and Mr. X took a job in the, the hospital greenhouse. Here it was noticed that he seemed to have a, a botanical knowledge above and beyond that of the uh, casual gardener. Think Chauncey Gardner here of maybe the, uh, the classic Hal Ashby film being there. It's almost like that, but maybe a little more complex in thought. Time passed and Mr. X seemed no closer to drudging up those autobiographical memories. Voraciously reading newspapers from across the region didn't trigger any memories either. Neither did hypnosis. His fingerprints were sent to police stations across the country and nothing was found. Then in 1938, the hospital hired a, a new public relations director, a woman named Ligon Smith Forbes. Forbes, like the magazine, F-O-R-B-E-S. Forbes was something of an anomaly for her time, especially for the, the socially conservative South. Decades before feminism coalesced into a movement of progress, Ligon was an outspoken advocate for women's rights. She was divorced and, and in a same-sex relationship. A few years before, she had opened the very first ad agency in Mississippi. She was a brilliant communicator and in marketing strategies, and also, unfortunately, an alcoholic. Due to a combination of the economy and alcoholism, Ligon was eventually forced to, to leave the ad agency and find a new job, landing at the, the Whitfield State Hospital. In her position, Ligon was charged with obtaining positive press coverage for the hospital while in a press junket to the Memphis, Tennessee-based Commercial Appeal newspaper. Ligon ran across the curious case file of an intelligent, well-mannered, well-spoken patient who couldn't remember anything about their past. Forbes pitched the story of Mr. X to the paper and they were understandably all over it. The Sunday, December 4th, 1938 edition of the Commercial Appeal in Memphis, Tennessee featured a, 
The story with the headline, Who is Mr. X? The story ended with a simple question, do you know him? The story was noticed by producers of the popular national radio show, We the People, who worked through Ligon to secure an on-air appearance for Mr. X. In January of 1939, Mr. X made his debut on, on the airwaves. He relayed his story and confessed that he, he didn't have flashes of short recall. Specifically, he remembered being in Pensacola, Florida one time and apparently accompanied by a cigar-smoking man. After his appearance, We the People was inundated with inquiries and mail, many hoping that Mr. X was one of their lost loved ones. On the way back to Jackson, Mr. X stopped in Memphis where he met a man named Phillips who believed strongly that Mr. X was was his missing brother and last known to be seen in Jackson in 1931. A missing scar and wrong shoe size soon proved this lead to be false. However, Mr. X returned to Whitfield. The next few weeks saw a flurry of activity. Local papers across the country picked up the story and Ligon began receiving volumes of letters and telegrams, over 5,000 all told. On the night of the We the People broadcast, Grattan Conwell had seen better days. Conwell was a doctor practicing in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. The week before, Dr. Conwell Conwell was involved in in a bad car wreck and had to be hospitalized. As Mr. X's voice came through the radio, Dr. Conwell was listening from his hospital bed. Something sounded familiar with the voice permeating through the static. What's more, his story eerily aligned with an old friend Dr. Conwell had made back in Birmingham. The man and and Conwell, both avid card players, often bridged at each other's homes. Conwell's friend had been an insurance salesman, but like so many others, his job became a, a victim of the Great Depression. After a stint living with uh, family members, the man left Birmingham seeking opportunities elsewhere. And Conwell, well, he just lost touch with him. When he was discharged from the hospital, Dr. Conwell contacted the man's family member he had lived with all those years ago. Also, a, a friend of the doctor's, and showed him photos of Mr. X that the commercial appeal in Time magazine had published. Upon showing these photos to yet another family member, Mrs. J.P. Haley, the, the woman couldn't believe her eyes. There, sitting for eight years in a mental facility outside of Jackson, Mississippi, was her long-missing brother, William Lawrence. Apparently, the the L on his belt buckle stood for his surname.
soon reunited with the brother Will and his sister, Mrs. Haley, and brother Ben Lawrence. They were all so ecstatic to see him. The feeling was uh, not immediately mutual. At their first meeting, Mr. X did not really recognize his siblings at all. Doctors gave Mr. X what was believed at the time to be a, a kind of truth serum, sodium amytal. Under its effects, Mr. X was told information by his doctors about his life that had come from his brother and his sister. And thinking the combination of the drug and biographical events might jumpstart his long dormant memory. And there seemed to be a breakthrough eventually in, in this sedated state. Mr. X seemed to begin to recall certain elements from his past and to even recognize his full name, William Henry Lawrence. Eventually emerging from the influence of the, the sodium amytal, Mr. X was shortly awash with emotions. It seemed that the past was, was flooding back to him. He remembered that he was an insurance salesman and he seemed to actually remember his family members this time. Will was soon discharged and he went to live with his sister in neighboring Alabama. They appeared on a, a follow-up episode of We the People together. His sister relayed how Will always kept in touch with the family while on the road, and how the last postcard they received from him was indeed postmarked Jackson, Mississippi. How eventually the, the family gave up for him being dead, and Will himself declared that his happiness was now complete. continued to live with the family for the next several years until apparently in 1948, Will, he went wandering again. This time with a much more sorrowful ending, unfortunately. Police identified the headless body laying across the train tracks in Baton Rouge by his, his fingerprints. Mr. X had been printed during his stay at, at Whitfield and this fact enabled his identification. Much like all those years before in Jackson, he had no identification on his person. His reason for being in the city was unknown. Mr. X was laid to rest in a rural town in Alabama, near where he had grown up. But to paraphrase another popular radio broadcast from years past, you need to hear the rest of the story. What was the real story with Mr. X? And, and is everything what it would seem to be, really? 
Consider that his sister was mistaken on at least one account. Will Lawrence never sent a postcard that was postmarked from Jackson. Did send a letter mentioning his intent to visit the city, but there was no actual evidence that he arrived. Will's sister had stated on the the radio that the family had tried extremely hard to find him in the year or so after he had gone missing. If his last communication had, had said he was intending to visit Jackson, wouldn't it stand to reason that Jackson authorities would have been one of the first contacts made and or shouldn't a missing man have been on their radar? Also interesting was that uh, Mr. X's particular brand of amnesia didn't really fit with the way the condition works. It wasn't degenerative. As he was able to form and clearly recall new memories starting from the day he was arrested on State Street, So his condition wasn't the result of something like Alzheimer's or dementia. It also didn't appear to be another type of documented amnesia condition where sufferers eventually snap out of it and are eventually able to remember their pasts. At least that didn't appear to happen with the eight years Mr. X resided at Whitfield. Oh, and another thing, the the truth serum that was administered to Mr. X when he was reunited with his siblings, well, that has since come to be discredited by modern medicine. Sodium amnitol can loosen the tongue, so to speak, but it has been shown that things said and memories recalled while under the effects of the drug are just as likely to be false or imagined as they are true. So what we are to make of this uh, curious case of Mr. X and his amnesia, well, there are a few different scenarios here. The history of the Lawrence family is a complicated one. Will's father was a doctor who died in 1900, and we won't get really into the exact events, but let's just say among Will's siblings and extended family, um, there was plenty of uh, premature and accidental death, suicides, and more than one instance of a probable murder. Pretty on-brand stuff. It also would seem that Will Lawrence wasn't necessarily all that comfortable being back home. Just two months after leaving Whitfield and claiming that he was homesick, he returned to the hospital for a visit something he did again a month later to to celebrate his birthday. He wandered back to Whitfield incidentally, unaccompanied by any of his family. We can always simply take the story at face value. It seems that a, a man named William Lawrence incidentally was listed as unemployed and living in Birmingham, Alabama in 1930 census, didn't go missing sometime in 1931. After all, his friend from years before recognized his voice and photo. 
and his brother and sister immediately recognized him as their missing loved one. Sure, uh, his sister conveyed wrong information about receiving a letter from his from him postmarked from Jackson, but it could have been an honest mistake. And Will's own letter did state that he intended to visit this city. It, it could have been that Mr. X was indeed William Lawrence and experienced some type of mental break with, with reality that that did actually cause some memory loss. But experts, they they find the unique nature of Mr. X's amnesia exceedingly rare. Author and journalist Laura Todd Carnes, whose article in the Atavist magazine was a, a heavy source of research for the segment of this podcast, noted that Prominent neurologist with whom she spoke said that the manner of Mr. X's amnesia was just too exceedingly rare. One went so far as to say that in 20 years she had never seen nor heard of a, of a similar case. So, was Will faking it? I alluded to the, the many tragedies that had befallen the Lawrence family in Will's youth and and young adulthood. Surely that would scar a person to one degree or another, and and we know that Will was unemployed and forced to live with relatives at the time of his disappearance. Maybe he was just running from something constantly, and maybe he didn't have a, a brief break with reality at all. Or maybe he was just tired of living in this this real world and get away from everything. Cue the soul asylum runaway train. But if this was the case and he was faking all or part of the time, why did he allow himself to be fingerprinted for his information or or what little of it there was to be circulated across police stations throughout the Southeast? And why on earth would he give interviews to large daily newspapers and a national radio show These don't seem the the actions of a man who really didn't want to be found. Then there's always the possibility that Mr. X wasn't William Lawrence after all. I know after hearing the story, this sounds implausible. His friend from years previous recognized first his voice, then his photograph. What little could be determined about his past, it seemed to match the life of one William Lawrence, and as much as it could, at least anyway, be. And don't forget that uh, his sister and brother reportedly uh, recognized him immediately upon seeing him in person. This may not be as, as cut and dry as it sounds. I know, we're going back and forth here. Will's doctor friend admittedly hadn't seen or spoken with him in years. And, and yes, they enjoyed a good game of bridge together, but, but bridge was a popular card game at the time and played by a a bunch of people. Will's sister and brother recognizing him should close the case on the Mr. X, but on the Mr. X was really someone else. There have been cases of mistaken identities before, and even among family members. 
It's not really inconceivable that Mr. X did bear a strong resemblance to one William Lawrence and and factor in that they probably really wanted the mystery man at Whitfield to be their brother. And you have the ingredients for a, a case of identity crisis confirmation bias. Mr. X did seem to begin to remember some elements from his previous life as Will Lawrence. But remember, many details were fed to him while under the influence of sodium amytal. It is entirely possible Mr. X was confusing actual memories with those told to him in some sort of druggy haze. I don't think we can rule out the possibility that Mr. X wasn't Will Lawrence, but the the Occam's razor of this story would, would be to take it totally at face value. A somewhat down on his luck, William Lawrence was traveling around the Southeast looking for work and had some kind of weird mental breakdown that resulted in a uber rare form of amnesia on State Street. Whether or not he recovered his memory and he kept it hidden can really never be known. Oh, and and one more fact to accompany the story of this, this stranger wanderer. The trains that ran through Baton Rouge would proceed at a very slow pace due to safety concerns in the the crowded areas. It seems that, that Mr. X, unless he had the extremely bad luck of losing consciousness on the middle of a train track, likely placed his head on the, the rail willingly. It wasn't a, a relatively common way to, to kill yourself at the time, but, and it would seem that whatever demons Mr. Lawrence or whoever Mr. X was, was dealing with, finally got the better of him. Mississippi's history is littered with an eclectic cadre of strange and interesting wonders. Today, the state remains a a great place to wander around and have your own temporary break with reality. From music to food to arts and culture, Mississippi really is a place custom-made for those who are wanderers at heart. From the, the vibrant scene that is modern Meridian to the picturesque views along the Natchez Trace, to the very soul of the state, Jackson, Mississippi. It's always ready to say, wanderers welcome. Highway bandits excluded. This episode of Strange Wanders was written and researched by Tim Mask and Cole Furlow. Sound design, editing, and narration by Cole Furlow. Strange Wanders is a production of MWP Studios and is sponsored by Visit Mississippi. Please follow, rate, and review Strange Wanders on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Please follow the show at Strange Wanders on Instagram and Twitter. You can email us at mwbstudios 
at mwb.com. And please visit our sponsor at visitmississippi.org. This wouldn't be possible without them. As always, thanks for listening. This podcast produced and distributed by MWB Studios.